we haven't met, my name's Mike, and uh, I have the privilege of being the campus pastor here. And today we are starting a new series um, where we're going to go really quickly through the book of Philippians. When I say really quickly, I mean in four weeks, 35 minutes, four times we're going to go through a book of the Bible. It's not really possible, but we're going to do our best. So what happened is uh, we're taking a little break from teaching the same thing as Mountain View Heber, and we had the opportunity to choose what we wanted to teach. And um, I've been studying the book of Philippians lately, and so it just made sense that we do a, a quick study through the book of Philippians. And what I subtitled this message or this series is Unshakable Joy. Um, the book of Philippians, the main theme going through the book of Philippians is the, is the theme of joy. And um, if you know me, I, I usually make fun of, of people who teach on happiness. But there's a lot going on in the world right now, and if there is ever a time when we need to re-examine where we get our joy from, this is it. Uh, I showed the, a little clip from this movie. How many of you have seen Inside Out? If you haven't and you hate Pixar movies, you'll probably hate this one too. If you like Pixar movies, you might actually enjoy it. This is my favorite one that they've ever made. And let me give you a little recap of what happened. Pixar, they are, the teen at Pixar seriously are like the greatest storytellers ever. And in this one, they took the inside mind of an 11-year-old girl, and inside they, what they did is they gave kind of personality and characters to her emotions. The really bubbly one that you saw, that was Joy. Joy's been there since the beginning. When the baby first opened the eyes, Joy was there. Joy was the one that makes her smile, makes her laugh, makes her see the positive side of life. And then next comes these other emotions, and they start trickling in. I, if I remember correctly, there's anger, there's disgust, there's, I don't know what they're called, like scaredy cat? Fear. Fear. There you go, fear. He's scared of everything. And then sadness, which is the one, the other character. And, and the kind of the plot of the movie is Joy is trying to run things in this little girl's mind. So everything that happens, Joy is the one that makes it bright and shiny. And the other characters are slowly starting to kind of like push in their areas. And Joy's main obstacle is this one, sadness. Because sadness is trying to make, make, make the little girl feel something other than joy. And it's a great movie because it kind of goes into the mind and it shows that, especially as, at a teenager, there's a certain time in life when kids start to realize that sadness plays a big part of who we are. We can't just be joyful all the time. Well, if I could rename this, if I could go back, I would actually call her happy. I would take away joy and I would probably replace it with happy. Love the movie. But it gives a pretty low view of joy. Because it, in this movie, joy is very fleeting. Joy comes and goes. Sometimes you're joyful, sometimes you're not. It's really just semantics, how you define it. But semantics make up how we communicate. And, and when you define joy as kind of like this character, where if, if you have a good day, you're happy. If you have a bad day, you're sad. If you have a, a scary day, you're fearful. But joy just comes and goes. I really would replace it with happy because happy is a better definition of sometimes it's here, sometimes it's not. We're going to talk about a different type of happy called joy. And joy has much deeper meaning than happy like we see in this movie. So if I, if I just made you mad because you love that movie and you love joy, I apologize. But... Paul experiences something that's much greater than what we experience when we use the word joy or when we use the word happy. 
He has something that is much heavier and weightier and, and isn't fleeting like we see happiness. You know, um, the opposite of joy. Sadness, despair, hopelessness. The reason we chose this is because right now there's a lot of that going around. There's a lot of ample room for us to be filled with despair. There's ample room for us to be filled with sadness right now. I don't know what it is. Utah right now has, man, the, it's, we have the highest teen suicide rate in the country. And as of last month, suicide, teen suicide is the number one cause of death for teenagers 11 to 18. Above car crashes, above cancer, above obviously homicide. I don't think Utah's too big on that. But suicide is the number one cause of death now for our young people. But despair, that doesn't even take into account the level of despair and hopelessness that's kind of infected our whole society right now. That's why it's, it's brilliant for a company like Pixar to make a movie about <coughs> joy, about helping people find joy, find happiness. Because we are a culture that is seeking to find that joy, that thing that's going to hold us in place. What I want you to do is I want you to open up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and the title of this message is Circumstances Don't Determine Our Joy. Um, you'll see it in your notes. If you don't have a pen, there should be a pen nearby you. Is it working? What's that? Is it locked out? That one, yeah. We don't let circumstances determine our joy. Um, I want you to open up, and we're going to start in verse 12, but I want to give you a little background while you're turning there. Um, Philippians is in the New Testament, um, the small letter. When, when, you, when I say we're going to read a letter from the Apostle Paul about joy, what might pop into your head is kind of like a, a you know, in my mind, I think in book covers, I think of the Apostle Paul kind of leaning on a nice leather couch with a tie and a shirt on, and it says, be joyful. Kind of, that's kind of how our books are today. Like, hey, it's me, the Apostle Paul, and let me give you eight reasons why you need to be joyful. You know what I mean? So it's really important before we start that you understand the background of, of Paul writing this. See, if Paul was living in, uh, uh, you know, he was living in the emperor's house, and he was wealthy, and he was well-fed, and he's getting chubby, and he fishes all day, it would make sense for Paul to say, let me tell y'all eight steps about joy. That would make sense. But what makes this book so amazing is the, is, is the situation and the circumstance in which Paul wrote this book. See, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. Now, the church in Philippi is, is a, a church that he had visited about 10 years earlier on one of his missionary journeys. And he started the first church. It's actually the first church in Europe. And then 10 years later, Paul now finds himself in prison. Now, we don't know if he was actually in a prison or if he was just shackled to a, a guard. But, but he was in chains, and he was in chains on his way to Rome. He was slowly making himself from leader to leader to leader until he was going to make his case before the most powerful. In which case, the most powerful were, were most likely going to execute him. Spoiler alert, he was executed. So Paul's in chains, and he's most likely not getting out of chains, and he knows this. He is, he is a prisoner suffering as a prisoner, and he writes this letter to the church in Philippi to talk to them about being joyful. 
If there was one person who had the right to say, I'm not feeling joyful right now, it would be Paul. If there was one person who suffered as much as Paul, if there was one person who said, I, you know what, I don't know if joy is what I would capture my letter, it would be him. Because he's going through a seriously dark time. Let me tell you a little bit about what it means to be a prisoner. Um, first off, you don't eat unless somebody brings you food. They don't serve their, they don't um, give their prisoners food. You are chained at all times to a guard or a wall. You, it, it has been written that some, sometimes the Roman prisons, Romans, just so you know, they're not very good on human rights. They were one of the most brutal people of all time. Romans are the ones that used to hang Christians like Jesus on crosses as entertainment. They were very brutal people. And when you went to prison, most people would choose to die before going to prison. And many prisoners would choose to take their own life when they went to prison because it was so brutal. It's not like our jails today. So Paul is suffering probably more than any one of us have ever physically suffered. His plans of moving on and taking the gospel have been stunted. Now he's in prison. But he continues moving forward. His health is most likely deteriorating. We get a clue from that in this letter because he says, I have the choice to live or die. Most of us don't have the choice to live or die right at this exact moment. But since he has the choice, it shows that he is suffering and he has to push through to keep going. Paul is suffering immensely. And then he writes this letter telling people, let me tell you about joy. Okay, so starting in verse 12, I want you to read with me. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. In verse 15 through um, 18, he talks a little bit about how people do it out of different motives, but then picking back up in verse, the end of verse 18 and 19, he says, And yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But yet, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for um, the Apostle Paul. We thank you for um, the words that he left for us, these words of truth. I pray, Lord, that we would redefine what joy means to us today. I pray we would rewrite it, redefine it, and I pray that we would find joy in the right things. Lord, we live in a world that will offers ample countless ways to take away our joy unless we find joy in the right things. So Lord, I pray we would uh, recognize some ways to embrace unshakable faith like the Apostle Paul did. Lord, we love you and we just ask this in your name. Amen. So I have a lot of blanks today. We're going to get through them. 
Um, looks like the storm's clearing up, but it still might rain, so none of you have plans today, so we can go long. Cool? Excellent. Moving forward. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I call this unshakable, unshakable joy because there are certain things in this world that will take away our joy, especially if we place our joy in the wrong spot. Paul knew this, and he explained to this church in Philippi, this church, he explained to them some ways that we could lose our joy. Some of the ways he does it in this letter, he just flat out says it. Some of the ways he uses himself as an example to say, follow my example. And then at the end of the letter, he just encourages them. But what I want to do today is I want to talk about the first thing that can get in the way of us having real joy. And I'm not talking about the fleeting happiness. I'm talking about joy that can sustain us no matter what happens. And that's circumstance. See, if there was anybody who had, it was in a rough circumstance, it was Paul. Your first blank is Paul's joy is chained to Christ, not to his circumstances. See, Paul, in a very real, physical sense, he is chained as a prisoner. Many of you are chained to a circumstance in your life. Something has happened and you feel like you cannot escape what happened to you. Some of you are, are suffering from something in your life, whether it's a, a, a death, whether it's something financial, where, where we feel like we're chained and we cannot escape a certain circumstance in our life. And when we feel chained and stuck to a circumstance, it's very easy to see how our joy could be removed from us. But see, Paul, being physically and literally chained to a Roman guard, made it very clear that his chains were not to a Roman guard. His chains were in Christ. And instead he said, I have become chained to him. Verse 12 says, I want you to know what has happened to me has actually caused the advance of the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What this means is the entire palace guard, that's like a thousand guards in this area. And he's saying that every single one of them recognizes that Paul, the circumstances that he is facing, they don't control him. They're not holding him back. They're not holding him down. He's saying that, he, that everybody recognizes that Paul is there because he is chained to Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this, but for the apostle Paul to go free, or really any evangelist or missionary in the early church, all he would have to do is deny Jesus. And he could go free. And then he could go preach the gospel again. But because his chains are in Christ, he's unwilling to deny Jesus. Sometimes we believe that we are tied to our circumstances. And sometimes we believe our circumstances are what define us or make us who we are. Sometimes we give circumstance a lot of room in our lives that it's not supposed to have. We're never going to, nobody goes through a life without ups and downs and bad circumstances. In fact, there's a lie that's among the church in general. Some people call it the prosperity gospel. Some people call it a few other things. But this lie says that if, if, if you have enough faith or if, you are, if, if God has favor on you, you should have a life that's healthy, wealthy, and wise. Which means if something bad happens to you, that circumstance is a direct reflection of how God sees you and feels about you. Folks, that's a lie. The Apostle Paul right here says, I am in chains. If there was anybody that God had favor on them, it was the Apostle Paul. The guy completely surrendered to Jesus. But if there's, if there's anybody, I keep saying that, if there's anybody, Paul's the example, can you tell? Um, if anybody should have had the healthy, wealthy, and wise, 
It was Paul. But see, our circumstances don't determine how God feels about us. And just because our circumstances are bad doesn't mean that God's trying to communicate something to us. We will live in the consequences of our actions. That's true. But it doesn't reflect how God feels and, and, and feels about us. We kind of covered that when we talked about Romans a few weeks ago, that, that, that our penalty was paid on the cross by Jesus Christ. And, and when we have our chains in Christ, we are no longer commanded and serving the circumstances of our world. The next one is how we suffer influences others. Verse 14 says, And because of my chains, most of the, brother and sister, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This one's powerful to me. Because when we suffer, like Paul's suffering, and he tells us later in this chapter that we will suffer as followers of Jesus. When we suffer, we feel like we can only suffer one way. Kind of like the, the, the blue girl, sadness. When she suffers, she just throws her head right down on the ground. <laughs> when we suffer, we mope, we feel sorry for ourselves, we feel like the whole world's abandoned us, it's storm clouds. And then people are watching how Paul suffers, and they're saying, Paul suffers differently than everybody else. Paul suffers with hope. Paul's suffering more than any one of us, and yet he still is full of hope and joy. And when we suffer, the manner in which we suffer influences those around us. Sometimes God's going to put us in a situation where we are having bad circumstances, where it feels like the world's falling down upon us, and he's not doing it for you. He's doing it so other people can observe you. Because how we suffer influences those around us more than we recognize sometimes. And, 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 and when we suffer well, which means we suffer without losing hope, other people remember that same hope and they can step back into that same faith because of your example. Remember, you don't have to suffer the way that the world says you have to suffer. I'm not saying the circumstances are different. I mean the way you respond to it with your heart doesn't have to be the same as this world. See, this world will tell you that circumstances need to determine your joy, need to determine your happiness, need to determine your outlook on life. And what Paul's saying is circumstances do not determine those things for him. Circumstances do not determine those things. Because we're influencing people in the manner in which we suffer. Next one is God doesn't change our circumstances. God often doesn't change our circumstances because our circumstances are changing us. This one is another powerful one for me. In verse 20 it says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See, right here, Paul is explaining that sometimes we see our circumstances. We see what's happening in our life. The storms that are coming into our life, we see those circumstances as enemies, as negative, as God has to get rid of these. And kind of back on some bad theology, when we believe that God exists to make our lives better all the time, when we believe that every circumstance, God wants us to be free from it, every addiction, every brokenness, man, I wish addictions were quick to break. How much do we sometimes learn when God shows us that we're stuck in a rut like an addiction? Whether it's a drug 
or it's pornography, or if it's a video game. Sometimes we say, God, I just want to be free from this obstacle. God, free me from this obstacle. Set me free from this obstacle. And oftentimes God doesn't want to change our circumstances because he's using those circumstances to change us. I don't know about you, but when things are going really, really well, I don't listen very well. Does that make sense? Sometimes God uses the, the brokenness of this world to get my attention. And maybe that's just me. But oftentimes it's the, those circumstances, those obstacles that I say, God, take this away from me. Help me through this. When God's got my attention more than he had my attention in the sunny days. And I'll tell you what, in hindsight, I'm always happy when God gets my attention. Maybe what God's taking you through or has brought you through, and maybe you can look back on hindsight as well, maybe it's not about him removing the obstacle or, or changing the circumstances, but maybe God's trying to use the circumstance to change something in you. There's a passage in Romans chapter 5 I want to read for you. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, listen to this, this is really important, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Without hope, what are we? Good job, Jeff. That's awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we, also, we often wonder where our hope is. Why aren't we, having, why aren't we finding that hope that we've been told about in Jesus Christ? And oftentimes that hope is because we haven't been able to grasp it yet because we haven't earned that hope. Following Jesus requires us to earn through perseverance some of that hope. Otherwise, it's just a theory. It's not a reality of our lives yet. Paul believes in this hope and he recognizes that even when we go in times of trial, times of suffering, when the obstacles and the storms come, Paul says, keep your eye out. Because God's doing something in the midst of this. And rather than begging God to always change our circumstances, there's nothing wrong with praying God to change your circumstances. There's nothing wrong with praying for God to change a storm or to heal somebody. But when God chooses not to, remember, switch the question and say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me in this obstacle? A real quick way to lose your joy is to think that God is keeping bad circumstances and storms in your life. God's mean God's mad at you. God's angry and punishing you. That's a great way to lose your joy. Great way to lose your joy. Remember that just like a parent does with a child, God is always trying to use the circumstances to help us become more like Jesus. Um, the next one is God's priority is not freedom from our suffering, but fruit from our suffering. Verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. This is piggybacking our last point, but when we are so focused on freedom, we forget that God is doing a bigger work through the trials sometimes. And rather than focusing on getting free from the chains, maybe we need to focus on what God is doing behind the scenes, the fruit that comes from our suffering. You know, we live in a broken world. I mean, just within this room, I could tell you three or four stories of deaths that have happened very real and very recent to us, of people who have lost their homes. Trials and storms are going to come. And oftentimes we say, God, why are you doing this? And collectively people just stare at the sky and say, God, why are you doing this? Free us from these chains. Free us from this obstacle. Change my circumstances. Do something. When often he placed a whole bunch of us all over so that we could be out loving and serving people in the midst of their circumstances. That when we're suffering with them, we can go out and serve them. That we can go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I don't know, every time God has taken us through a trial, you know, my wife and I, we, lo- we lost a child. And for the, you know, when it first happens, you say, God, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And then I start to see my wife having these conversations with other women who have lost children. And they can, they, they're, they're bonding and they're having connections that could never have happened. Now, I'm not trying to say that was the one reason why it happened. I don't know. All I know is I got to see some fruit of what God was doing through conversations that my wife was having with people who when this happened to them, they were completely hopeless. They were completely broken. They thought that God had completely abandoned them. And my wife, who had also been through it, was able to go and say, hey, God hasn't abandoned you. I don't know why he did it, but I've been through it. Let's chat. And she was able to love on people who, was, who have been through the same trial. What trial has God taken you through? What trial has God taken you through that now he's like, let's see some fruit from this trial. Who can you serve because of what you went through? Who can you love on because of what you have seen with your own eyes? Who can you point to Jesus because of the hopelessness that you have also experienced? Sometimes we're so focused on getting free from the circumstances that we forget that God wants fruit from the circumstances. And he's doing something that is bigger than us. He's at work in in ways that we don't always understand. But it's not pointless, no matter how dark it can be. Um, Your last blank is just a repeat of one of the earlier ones. Is your joy chained to your circumstances or is it chained to Christ? See, if we want fleeting happiness, like we saw in the video, you can chain your joy to your circumstances. You're going to have times where you're on top of the world. You're going to have times where you're in the pits. Or we can have a type of joy that Paul had, that Jesus had. A type of joy that doesn't mean we're happy all the time. That's a delusion. You ever meet that person who's happy all the time? And you're like, you're on fire. And they're like, I know, isn't it great? Now that's delusion. 
Paul even said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Joy doesn't mean we're bubbly all the time. Joy means that no matter how hard it gets, God hasn't abandoned you. Joy means that no matter what circumstances you face, Jesus is stronger. Joy means that when the world feels completely hopeless, there's still hope. It's not a fleeting type of happiness. But the first thing that Paul attacks is this idea that circumstances determine our, how content we are in life or the joy that we experience. And this is a lie that the world believes. This is a lie that entertainment believes. But this is a lie that we can finally put to rest. Because our joy is not found in how good or bad life is. Our joy is found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ already won. He already won. And nothing can take that away from us. It doesn't matter what happens to us in this life. We have the ability to experience the same kind of joy as Paul. A joy that's not pivoting and leveraged by what's going on in our world. You know, you talk about reaching out to the world and, you know, a stronger message than words could ever send is when you have nothing left to hold on to and people see you holding on to Jesus. You know, and when that's a loud message to the world when they go, there is no reason that you should be joyful right now or there's no reason you should be at peace right now. There's no reason that you shouldn't be completely filled with despair and hopelessness right now. And yet you somehow trust Jesus. You want to explain, you want to have a picture of Jesus to the world. That's a great picture to the world. I want to encourage you before we close, if you don't know this kind of joy, if this joy is totally unknown to you, if the only joy you know is the joy from the movie and it kind of makes you mad, my personality, that kind of joy makes me mad. Bubbly, no matter what, that's delusional. <laughs> and, and I don't know about you, but most of my life, joy felt like it was always leaking. Like I, every time I had joy, it was quickly emptying out. And all I was doing is I spent time trying to stop it from leaking out. A cup with holes in it. There's a different kind of joy. We don't have to be pursuing that joy anymore. If you don't know that type of joy, I want to encourage you to take some time today and, and, and just say, Jesus, I want to know the, your kind of joy. I want to know the kind of joy that surpasses my circumstances. I want to, I want to know the kind of joy that doesn't leak out when things go wrong. I want to know the kind of joy that, that isn't dependent on those around me. It isn't dependent on my things. I want a type of joy that, that lasts forever because it does exist. If you don't know that type of joy and you'd like to talk afterwards, if you've been playing the inside-out game, you know, I'd love to chat with you. But there is a type of joy that can surpass all the stuff we're facing in this world, all the obstacles. There is a type of joy that says God is still in control no matter what happens. And that's the type of joy we've been called to live in. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for not asking us to trust in a joy that's fleeting. I thank you for not also expecting us to be bubbly and pop, poppy and just delusional and optimism, but to be realistic. Lord, I thank you that even if the world crushes down around us, even if we lose everything we have, 
just like the Apostle Paul did. Even if we have a change of plans, even if we experience brokenness and death, <coughs> Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be chained to any of those things, but our joy would be chained to you. And wherever you go, we're going to be just fine. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to minister to those who are suffering, allowing us to be your hands and feet in the midst of suffering and in the midst of pain. And Lord, I just pray you would open up more opportunities for us. Pray we wouldn't seek to be free from the chains, at least not entirely. That's not our whole goal, but I, I pray that in the midst of that desire, we would seek to see you move through it. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We just ask this in your name.